how do we grow into adulthood? Well, we learn. We learn things that we don't understand initially. And the same is true spiritually. That's what Paul is getting at here in 1 Corinthians. Today we continue through 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 29 through 35 and Paul continues to talk about contentment. Uh, He has been writing to the church at Corinth in order to admonish the church toward unity. Unity which he claims comes through maturity and maturity in the faith is facilitated by our contentment rather than our malcontent. So far in chapter 7 as we have moved through chapter 7, we have learned about contentment in every arena of life, in our relationships and in our religion and in our socioeconomic status. Uh, Today, Paul gives more instruction about contentment. Contentment is no small thing in the text of Scripture. Uh, Contentment is no small thing in 1 Corinthians. So before we get to the spiritual gifts and before we get to what it means to to really live in Christian community and before we get to all the the deep ecclesiological statement that Paul, Paul makes in 1 Corinthians... He tells us about contentment, contentment in every arena of life. And today he explains a little bit about why Christians are to be content rather than malcontent, why we are to be humble and rest in our humility rather than celebrate our own pride and exalt ourselves and exalt our own ministries and exalt our own businesses or corporations or accomplishments, successes, victories, rather than celebrating those things, we are to simply be content. And and Paul's going to explain why here. Let me read this for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 through 35. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened So that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. But this I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate 
and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So we know, considering this this pericope, this this passage in chapter seven as as a whole, we we know that the the goal is undistracted devotion to the Lord. And the world and all of its complicatedness makes undistracted devotion to the Lord very, very difficult. Um, In fact, uh, I have, um, on quite a few occasions now, had to leave a place of employment um, or a church ministry that was doing very well uh, because worldly expectations crept in and complicated things and because I could not serve people without being a quote people pleaser um, I I had to leave that in order to secure undistracted devotion to to the Lord uh, trying to meet all of other people's unhealthy bad selfish expectations all the time it takes our attention off Christ, and that is what Paul gets at in this passage of Scripture. Now let's begin walking through, starting in verse 29. But this means uh, what he is about to say is contrary to the way of living he has described previously. Uh, the way of living Paul has described previously is a very selfish way of living, the worldly way of living, a way of living in which we pursue our own lusts, our own desires, our own preferences, our own expectations, our own reputations, building up our own ministries, building up our own names, exalting ourselves and our organizations and our churches and our businesses and our everything. But instead of that way of living... But you, Christian, who have, been, who have been liberated from that sort of thinking, but this I say, brethren, fellow Christians, the time has been shortened. Christ's return is not far. Now, Paul, this is an eschatological statement. The time has been shortened. The time for the ways of this world has been shortened. The time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives, now this sounds weird, should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. Now, now Paul here, he is saying your perception of things, however you perceive them, it is not an accurate picture of God's economy of the way God is working things out to be. Uh, we see what we see. Uh, we, we see what is outward. Uh, we see many times what we want to see. And we see the way the world does things. Paul here says, the time has been shortened. Don't live according to your perceptions because your perceptions will deceive you. Now let's take this statement by statement so we can really understand what the Apostle Paul is trying to say, not only to the Corinthian church, but to every local church then in the first century and now in our time and until Christ's return. 
those who have wives should be as though they have none. I had somebody come up to me <laughs> not too long ago and ask me about a sermon I preached in a previous part of chapter 7 here when Paul encouraged married people to live like single people. He admonished them to live like single people. And they came up to me, what, what, what the heck does that mean? What, what does it mean for married people to live like single people? It means even if we are married, what God desires from us is undistracted devotion to him. And this is true in all of our relationships. Uh, in our relationships, in our worldly relationships, people have expectations. People put burdens on us in those relationships because that's the way the world works, right? Uh, in our marital relationships, our partners put expectations on us. They have expectations of us, things they want us to do, ways they want us to be and talk and and behave, um, they, they have those expectations, healthy or unhealthy. The expectations are there in any relationship. In our churches, uh, people have expectations of one another, and people have expectations of uh, the person they call pastor, and people have expectations of those they call deacons. Whether these expectations are healthy or unhealthy, the expectations are there. On the job, bosses have expectations of employees and employees have expectations of, of bosses. No matter where we are, even, even in our households, parents have expectations of children and children have expectations of parents and brothers have expectations of sisters. And, and so people have expectations of other people, healthy or unhealthy. That's the way the world is. And, and, and God... Despite everyone's expectations, no matter how diverse they are or healthy they are, God desires our undistracted devotion. So Paul here talking to married couples, but this applies across the board in every arena of life, in every relationship. Paul here says those who are married should live as though they were unmarried. Those who have wives live as though you don't have a wife. Uh, that doesn't mean that husbands are permitted to neglect their wives. Um, no, because that would contradict a previous section here of chapter 7, a previous verse in chapter 7. So we can't take this out of context and say this gives anyone license to neglect their, their spouse. We can't take license and say uh, this, this gives permission for anyone to uh, neglect anyone in this world. Um, that is not what Paul's getting at here. What he is getting at is your, your wife, as important as she is, or your husband, as important as he is, in your life, God is more important. And what he desires is ultimately more important than what our spouses desire. This is true in any relationship. This is true for pastors. What God desires is more important than what your congregation desires. Uh, church members and deacons, what God desires is more important than what anyone else desires. Um, men, what God desires is more important than what your wife desires. Women, what God desires is more important than what your husband desires. Children, what God desires is more important than what your parents desire. And parents, what God desires is more important than what 
your children desire. And that is the principle Paul is teaching here, and he is admonishing the church. Stop caring so much about the unhealthy, unbiblical expectations of others. Your identity, your primary identity is not in your status, position, relationship with people. It is it is in your standing before holy God and whether or not you have been faithful to him and his desires. So if you are married, live as though you are devoted entirely to the Lord. Now I am blessed in my marriage. My wife is a Proverbs 31 woman. She is also a 1 Corinthians 7 woman. Uh, she desires that I be devoted to the Lord and what the Lord has called me to in a way that is that is undistracted. She takes me closer to Christ rather than rather than being uh, rather than being needy and helpless. She is a strong woman and she is an independent woman. And that is attractive. Uh, there is no need for neediness. And by neediness here, I'm talking about an attitude and a demeanor and in the heart of the person. Like Christians are not needy people. And if we find ourselves being needy and clingy, uh, we should check ourselves because we are probably not trusting in Christ to be our all in all. Instead, we need to leech off other people. And this is not healthy. Too many men and too many women encourage neediness rather than doing what is best for others. Too many pastors encourage neediness instead of serving for the, the good of others in order to, to bring people out of their neediness and help them to depend fully on God alone. Um, and if I encourage neediness by becoming a people pleaser, that that leads me into appealing to flattery and manipulation by making sure people get what they want and by tickling ears rather than honoring God and leading people closer to God. I once heard it said that I, I, I taught too much that people couldn't understand and out of the same mouth came the admonition. This is a person that believes there shouldn't be any admonition in the church whatsoever, but they were, they were trying to admonish me anyway, which is hilarious. This person said, you just need to teach what we already understand. Um, if, if that is what a person is to do, there's no point in that person saying anything because people don't grow. Our objective is to not tickle the ears of other people, to not to not support unhealthy expectations. Our objective is to serve the Lord and work for the sincere good of other people. And that's that's how we are slaves to God and others, right? We are slaves to God working for his pleasure according to his plan, according to his preferences, and we are slaves to people working for their good which often is not giving them everything that they want because ultimately we want them to depend on God, not, not us. And the way we do ministry 
facilitates one one of those things or another. The way we live in relationships facilitates whether people will be more dependent on God as a result or more dependent on us as a result. And I hate the idea that anyone would ever be entirely dependent on me. You shouldn't be. This is not about me and this is not about you. This is about Christ. So Paul admonishes the church, those who have wives, from now on, now that you are in Christ, and now that you have Christ, now that you are no longer of the world, from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. In the same way, those who weep from now on, now that you are in Christ, now that you have Christ, now that you are not part of the world, those who weep as though they did not weep. The circumstances of this world can be brutal. This world tears people down. It piles burdens upon people without lifting a finger to help them. It is a works-based, judgmental, condemning. I've been the subject of a lot of the world's hatred and anger, even as it has crept into the local church. Yet, Paul says, those who weep as though they did not weep. When we are in the valleys, our attention is just as much on Christ as when we are on the mountain tops. Our circumstances do not control us. If we drown ourselves in self-pity, if we constantly dwell on everything we think is wrong with the world and our churches and our workplaces and our relationships and politics and and everything. We will sit and do nothing and we will probably do much more harm than good by trying to correct the things we are weeping about. And it could be the case. We don't even have a reason to weep. We just are wallowing in self-pity, which is not a godly way to be. That goes back to neediness and the need to be affirmed and this entitlement mentality that we see in, in the world and in worldly churches and in worldly workplaces. The need for our own preferences to be fulfilled, the need for our own, our, my expectations to be met, the need for my reputation to be built up. Yet, Paul says, those who weep as if they did not weep. Uh, you are not to live according to your own perception of things. Instead, you are to be content and humble, even in negative circumstances. The time has been cut short. He continues, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. From now on, because you are in Christ now and you are not of the world, even if you are rejoicing, even if there is reason in the world to celebrate, even if you are on the mountaintop, you are to live as though you are not on the mountain top. Your focus is on Christ when you are on the mountaintop, just like it is on Christ when you are in the valley and rejoicing and weeping. Your focus is on Christ and your lifestyle does not does not change. Why? Because Christ is your all in all. Your victories are not your all in all. Your preferences being met are not your all in all. Those things that make you happy are not your all in all. Your spouse is not your all in all. Your church is not your all in all. Your ministry is not your all in all. You are not your all in all. Christ is. Therefore, we are not controlled by our negative circumstances. 
and we are not controlled by our positive circumstances. Instead, our concern is simply honoring Christ in all things, in season and out of season, during seasons of distress and weeping, and during seasons of celebration and happiness. Our concern is, is Christ. Christ is our all in all. And from now on, since you are now in Christ and no longer of the world, from now on, those who buy as though they did not possess. I, I don't know if you knew this. What we have on this earth and this world will not be ours in the world to come. Now, I, I know Paul's eschatology, as he has explained it so far in 1 Corinthians, um, means that those things that honor God will not pass away and will persist on. There will be a purifying fire. We learned that in chapter chapter 1. We learned that in chapter 3. We learned that in chapter 6. Okay. Paul's eschatology, though, doesn't allow for us to hold on to our material possessions. If our work honors Christ, it will survive the purifying fire, and he will reward us accordingly. Each individual, according to his work, will be rewarded above and beyond salvation, which is just grace on God's part. Okay, we, we don't deserve that. We don't need that. We don't really long for that, but it's, but it's promised to us, which is kind of amazing. Now here it is revealed that there is a new way coming. This world is passing away. The time has been shortened. So, those who buy what you own, what you have, uh, don't hold to it too, too fastly. Don't hold on to it like, like it is actually yours and like you actually earned something in this world that is going to last. Uh, you really can't take it with you. The body dies and we lose all of our possessions. We lose our possessions, material possessions. We lose our relationships at the moment of death. All that is gone. We lose our ministries. It's gone. No longer. No longer to be about us. Our ministries dissipate because we die, right? Our businesses, gone. Our houses, gone. Property, gone. Technology, gone. And Paul doesn't say it's wrong to have stuff in this world to build up stuff in this world. But if that is if that is our identity, our titles, gone. Our degrees, gone. Our statuses, gone. Our reputations, gone at the moment of death. If that is where we find our identity, then we are not finding our identity in Christ. And that's why Paul gives this admonition, this instruction. Those who buy as though they did not possess we are not to live as though we possess anything contentment humility those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it and paul is not saying it is wrong to use worldly methods to make money and to acquire things uh, to steward in this world that's really what this is a stewardship not ownership He's not saying it's wrong to do that. In fact, many ministries must use worldly finances in order to operate this side of the resurrection. Many churches have to use worldly finances, uh, the finances of the government, in order to operate this side of the resurrection, in order to do stuff and 
things, and people need that to feed their families and and so forth. But Paul's saying, don't find your identity in that. Don't make full use of it. And the form of this world is passing away. Unless we get confused, take that verse out of context and say the form of this world is passing away and think that this world is just going to be destroyed. And therefore, Paul contradicts here the, the rest of Scripture. Unless we do that and misinterpret this verse of Scripture, we remember chapter 1, verses 18 through 31, and chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, where Paul says very clearly, God is making the ways of the world foolish. And this fire that comes is a fire of purification, not of destruction. So the form of this world is passing away. The form of Christ is not. The world's government is passing away. Christ's government is not. The world's politics are passing away. Christ's politics are not. The world's economy is passing away. Christ's economy is not. The form of this world is passing away. The world's way of doing things is passing away. Christ's way of doing things is not. He is renewing the world and making the world's ways out to be foolish. He is humiliating the world and those of the world and those caught up in worldly relationships and religion and politics and and economics and social movements. He is making all of that out to be foolish if it is of the world. So the form of this world is passing away. Why would you want to find your identity with that, with that way of doing things? Verse 32. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned. We've seen this before here in chapter 7. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. And, and what does Christ desire? What does God desire? Un, undivided devotion. Or the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Again, it goes back to expectations and preferences of someone else, which are most often selfish and contrary to God's expectations and desires. A healthy relationship, a healthy marriage, a wife denies herself and the husband denies himself and they turn each other toward the desires of God rather than the personal desires of self, the selfish desires that we have. And the same is true in any relationship, whether it be in the workplace or in the church or just in the community. Uh, our objective is to deny self and point others to Jesus rather than point others to our own expectations, preferences, reputation, status, whatever. None of that matters. So that's why Jesus even taught, don't be so concerned about your title. Don't be so concerned about that. Just serve people. The greatest among you must become your servant. So the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you. Like Paul isn't being burdensome here. He's not saying it's a sin to be married. It's a sin to have preferences. It's a sin to have expectations. He's not saying that. It's a, it's a sin to, 
to want to make people happy. He's not saying that. It's a, it's a sin to consider others' um, expectations. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, I'm not saying this to put a restraint on you. I'm saying this to your benefit, to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So if somebody's expectations of me cause me to neglect the expectations God has put forth, like in Acts chapter 6, for instance, where the apostles, um, the elders of the church, um, heard about um, something that was happening that was not good. A certain group of people were being neglected. And their, their plan wasn't, hey, let's break our backs to go do these things and neglect what God has called us to in order to go serve tables and to visit houses and to call people and to, well, they didn't have phones, but you understand, right? So they promoted those we now refer to as deacons in order to take care of all that so they would not have to neglect the ministry God had called them to and so that other people could be promoted to ministry and they could properly train the saints, all the saints, for the work of ministry so no one was overburdened. This is how community works. We point one another toward Christ and we serve for other people's good. And instead of giving in to unhealthy expectations, we serve the, the good of others according to Christ's expectations, according to his design, according to his plan, according to his Preferences, And so the apostles there in Acts chapter 6, they modeled undivided devotion to the Lord and the Lord's calling on their lives by promoting other people to um, a certain office or what eventually became an office in the church uh, and training all of the saints for the work of ministry uh, so that no one was forced to live in sin in order to do ministry by becoming people pleasers and resorting to flattery and resorting to tickling people's ears in order to in order to keep people happy. Um, our goal is not to keep others happy. It is to serve according to the pleasure of God to make him happy and for the good of others, which often requires others to be offended because our expectations by nature are selfish and bad. This is what Paul wishes to spare the local church from. Of course, in Corinth, they were already concerned about their own expectations. They were already concerned about their own preferences. They were already overly concerned about people doing things their way and doing what they wanted them to do. They were drawing and dividing lines based on these things, drawing denominational lines based on these things, doctrine and practice and personal expectations and personal offenses. And Paul speaks into it. That is not the way. Contentment is the way. That is not the way. Humility is the way. And humility and contentment go hand in hand. Contentment and humility facilitate maturity in the faith. And maturity in the faith brings unity. And I hope we understand this. You do not have unity without deep theological thinking and reasoning. So far as we are shallow in the faith, shallow in our teaching of the Bible, shallow in trying to understand God's word, so long as we are not interested in understanding more about who God is and what God is doing, we will never be more like him. How do we grow into adulthood? 
and I mean in this life, like physically, how do we grow into adulthood? Well, we learn. We learn things that we don't understand initially. Well, the same is true spiritually. That's what Paul is getting at here in 1 Corinthians. So brothers and sisters, I admonish you toward contentment and humility. Please do not be concerned about your own preferences, desires, expectations, about hearing what you want to hear. Because if you are concerned about those things, you will never become mature in the faith and you will always be divisive. But the way of Christ is different. Contentment, humility, maturity, unity. I hope God blesses you this week.